Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to welcome Marilyn Simon Rothstein. She's the author of Crazy to Leave You, just published in May, and her novel is the number one new release in Jewish fiction on Amazon. Marilyn is also the author of Lift and Separate, winner of the Star Award for Outstanding Debut presented by the Women's Fiction Writers Association, and a second novel, Husbands and Other Sharp Objects. She grew up in New York City, earned a degree in journalism from NYU, and began her writing career at Seventeen Magazine. She married a man she met in an elevator, and she owned an advertising agency for more than 25 years. Marilyn received an MA in liberal studies from Wesleyan University and an MA in Judaic studies from the University of Connecticut. So welcome, Marilyn. Wonderful to be here, Meryl. So excited to have you. As you know, I'm a big fan of yours. I thoroughly enjoyed Crazy to Leave You, as I have your other two books. And um, in a raffle last year, as you remember, I even bid on and won a lunch with you in Manhattan, which I hope to redeem before the decade ends and that's on my end so um your sense of humor is needed needed nowadays more than ever but you also tackle some very poignant and challenging issues in your latest novel such as the role of women in the workplace fat shaming loneliness white collar crime and dysfunctional families um for those who haven't read it yet would you give us a brief summary of your new novel crazy to leave you Oh, I'd love to, and I just want you to know, the longer you wait to have lunch with me, the better lunch I'm going to take you to. <laughs> well, okay. that, that that warms my heart. That, okay. That's great. Thank you. I look forward to it. <laughs> okay, so Crazy to Leave You is the story of Lauren Leo. She's a scale-obsessed 41-year-old advertising executive in New York, mm-hmm. and she is at the top of her game, but she just doesn't see it that way. She wants a family, and she becomes engaged to a man she first kissed at a summer camp named after a rabbi. <laughs> Everybody out there, sing those Debbie Friedman songs. Lauren diets for the wedding, and thrilled to reach size 12, she considers wearing the size tag down the aisle instead of her gown. But right. women make plans and God laughs, so Lauren is devastated when she is jilted at the altar. She turns to carbs and her work in advertising as she struggles to move on. Her family, of course, as most families think, believe they're helping her. Her mother's a woman who never had a thought she didn't say out loud. She suggests Lauren freeze her eggs and go back on her diet. Mm. Her sister Margot is a flamboyant soap opera star, so she plants herself on Lauren's couch, adding to all the havoc. So while driving under the influence of donuts, Lauren has a car accident, 
and a boss hires a thoughtful driver to take her to clients. And Rudy is not what she expected, but neither is anything else in her life. Lauren has to keep it together and move on and realize that she is enough. And that's where the story takes off. It is a very uh, colorful cast of characters and very, very uh, compelling story. And um, I, I want to congratulate you, Mazel Tov, on being the number one, on your book being the number one new release in Jewish fiction on Amazon. I'd like to My mother to is failing. My mother is failing. I, I'm sure. From above. I, I, well, yeah. <laughs> may she rest in peace and fell. Wow. Um, I'd like to ask you, Marilyn, what does that mean to me? And why, what do you think um, makes your novel a Jewish book? Well, my novel's a Jewish book because Jew Jewishness is the essence of who I am. So, um, you know, I grew up going living across the street from an Orthodox temple in Flushing, Queens on 170th Street. And um, I went to Orthodox Hebrew school and there were only two girls in my Hebrew school class, me and Susan. Mm -hmm. And Susan married a rabbi. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was sort of like the loser. <laughs> you know, my mother would go, look how she married a rabbi. But I held out for something more interesting and I married an accountant. But having gone to this Orthodox school where um, most of the people involved, although my parents were first generation, most of the people involved were Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. um, and we learned um, uh, Hebrew and about Judaism the real old fashioned way. Mm -hmm. um, I think it just, it's with me wherever I go. Yeah, well, it's it's a very um, interesting, albeit dysfunctional, um, Jewish family. But I, I suppose all families uh, are dysfunctional. Um, so you hold two master's degrees. Uh, one of them is in Judaic, Judaic studies. I, I like to ask you, why did you pursue that degree and and how has it informed your writing? I always wanted to go for a further uh, degree in Judaism. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually got that degree um, in my 40s. And it took me about four years of taking one or two classes a semester to finish. But it was just something I always wanted to do because I would go to seminars and I would go to things at synagogues Yet I always felt like I just couldn't learn enough. And not just about um, Talmudic things, but just about the history of Jews. Mm -hmm. So I signed up for the first class at UConn when they started the Judaic Studies Department. And um, it was a fabulous experience. And, and so you're, you're writing, it's, uh, your, your three books are all about um, Jewish families, Jewish characters. Um, that's that you're writing from from what you know and yes. what, what you've learned, right? Um, so your your latest novel, um, 
as I said before, it's really um, packed with with a lot, you know, besides the humor, a lot of uh, really serious um, issues. What what inspired you to to write that one? Um, you know, I, I had had this thought about an older woman being left at the altar. What, what would that feel like? And I wrote the first chapter of a woman being, you know, a Jewish woman. She's left at the altar at the synagogue. And um, so you have all the typical things that would go on in a synagogue wedding. And I started with that. And then, of course, the thing that has been a big part of my life is um, uh, weight and scales. And <laughs> I always say my mother painted the kitchen pink to match the sweet and low. But um, uh, we had a lot of weight problems in my family. My mother was not a body shamer by any, that's total fiction. Um, but I just was very interested in that. So I wanted her to have, um, you know, to be scale obsessed because I wanted to uh, explore that. And I wanted to explore the relationship between sisters in a tight-knit family where, you know, everybody thinks they're helping everyone, but not necessarily so. Um, do you have do you have sisters? I do. I, I have two sisters. I'm and obviously I'm the oldest. I'm that oldest person, boss everybody around personality. <laughs> and um, you know, we're very, very close, but you know, sometimes we butt in where we shouldn't be butting in. And so I wanted to explore that some more. And just the idea that everybody thinks other people, you know, the grass is always greener. She's got it better than me, you know. And in the Lauren story, so many of the people she thinks has it better than her actually do not have it better than her. Um, yeah. for, for example, her um, youngest sister is married to um, Mr. Perfect, but um, he's got all kinds of business problems that Lauren doesn't know about that affect her sister's marriage. Uh, I thought that was uh, brilliant. It was brilliant characterization. And um, I don't want to give away my favorite scene in yeah. the book. I was but... going to just tell you about it because it's my favorite scene. And then I realized if I, I just want to say though up front, her brother-in-law's name is Rob, to give you an idea, as in, you know, Madoff, is Madoff with the money, Rob. <laughs> and um, and they, there is a Seder, of course, in this book because, you know, it's a Jewish family. If it was a non-Jewish family, I would have just done Thanksgiving. But he gets all upset because he hates the Maxwell House uh, Haggadah. Right. <laughs> That's, I'm not going to say what happens after that, but it just was. let's say it Elijah was, is not the person who shows up at the door. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. But it was also wonderful. I mean, it was sad. It was so humorous. But it was wonderful on another level because I think, you know, especially when we're younger or sometimes even when we're older, you look at other people's lives and, and you just what you said, you think they're perfect. And I remember my mother told me that, you know, when you look at someone else's life from the outside, it looks whole, it looks perfect, but nobody's life really is. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, Lauren thought that Stephanie had had it all, had a perfect life, and she didn't. So um, the other sister is oh, the other totally sister I love. 
Um, I, I, I want to live next door to the other sister. So how did you come up with her? Are the you a soap opera watcher? Were you ever a soap opera? Oh, I watched General Hospital. I was addicted to General Hospital the entire time. My from when I um, from college until my children turned about, you know, graduated high school. I once added up how many hours I spent watching General Hospital over those years because I was just curious, and it came out to a third of my life. Oh my goodness! That's well, the only one I would watch. I wouldn't turn the channel because I was afraid if I got hooked on another one, you know, I'd be finished. Mm. But um, uh, that was before you before you could videotape things, right? Oh, right. You had to be there. It was when he had an appointment. Um, I, when my son, my oldest son, I have three sons, was two years old, I just went cold turkey because I said I can't. I'm organizing my life. <laughs> I, so would, I, I, would, I would go like, you know, if you had a play group, you know, with, now this predates, you know, the the uh, the phones and the and the uh, computers and everything. So if someone would ask me, would you like to bring your daughter over to, you know, play, I would literally uh, schedule it so that by a quarter to three, I was leaving this person's house to get back to my house to watch. General <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, so so that was um, the influence, the, your your love of soap operas on Margot. But she was really, um, she's really quite a character, um, very very entertaining. Um, so I I mentioned in the introduction that you take on some very difficult issues in the book. So apart from your humor. Were there questions you wanted to raise or a message you hope to share with readers? Absolutely. There, there, in all of my books, I like to write about women who go through th something. They're strong women, but they don't realize it. They don't realize that what they've done in their lives is, you know, it makes them a strong person. And then something happens, and then they have to, you know, completely regroup. And that's when they start to realize that they can do it, that they have it in them to be whatever they want, that they are enough, that just because you look around and you see your sister is married to the guy your mother's calling Mr. Perfect, and she's the teacher of the year in Connecticut, and she has the two daughters you wish you had, things might not be so perfect for her either. So it's on many levels, quite a few messages um, that I'm trying to get through about the way women live today and realizing who you are and what you're capable of. Great, that's, that's um, you, you definitely do that very, very well. Um, I want to um, ask you a question that I've been dying to ask about your first two hilarious novels. So your main character, Marcy, is left by her husband, Harvey, mm -hmm. after 33 years of marriage. Harvey happens to be the head of a worldwide brazier enterprise. I've been dying to ask you, what prompted you to write about <laughs> Rob is? <laughs> Okay, here it goes. You asked, and now you're going to get it, and you'll be sorry. Um, 
when I was, if there are any men listening, please cover your ears. Um, when I was in about sixth grade, all my friends, you know, went to uh, Macy's or Alexander's at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, the mother picked up a bra from the table and here's your training bra, right? Mm-hmm. My mother had been the manager of three corset shops in the Lower East Side before oh, she wow. married my father. Oh, because wow. once she got married, she immediately quit her job because he told her he had to because it had to look like he could afford to support her. Well, that's because, what women did then. Yeah, if they that's what women did, family. right? So yeah. she managed three shops and she quit the day she got engaged and but knew incredible amounts of things about bras and what was then called a girdle. Uh -huh. So she would not take me to get the bra the way my friends got it. She took me to this private little um, bra shop where they sewed the bras from scratch. They measured oh mm -hmm. And in this bra shop on Continental Avenue in Forest Hills, there was a woman who, Bernice, she fitted you in this tiny little, uh, uh, you know, like a fitting room. But when you stepped out, now mind you, I'm 12 years old, okay? When you step out, her husband was sitting in front of the fitting room at a sewing machine sewing bras. <laughs> and you know what? I can't remember my own name now, but his name was Emil. Uh -huh. And the name of the place was Fonde Bra Shop. Okay. I was so mortified. And it, it made, it made an meal. impression on you. It made it made a lasting impression. Literally that day, because I've always, I wanted to be a writer from the day I was born. I thought one day I'm going to write a book, and this is going to be in it. Well, it, it okay. I I just I, I I've been wondering about that book for a couple of years now. So I thank you, thank you for uh, setting me straight about that. And. <laughs> Yeah, that that's fascinating. Um, I just wanted to ask you um, just about your you owned an advertising agency mm -hmm. for more than twenty years. So, I um, was it like the advertising agency that you described in Crazy to Leave You? No, well, a lot of the things I described are similar, but um, you know, she's working for the man. I was working for myself. Well, that. Yeah, that was yeah. Um, so, you know, that, I was the boss. So um, that whole um, but the, the the fact that her boss is the kind of man he is very old fashioned, you know, never saw a skirt he didn't wish was shorter. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that all comes from having worked in ad in an ad agency before I opened my own ad agency and from having so many friends who are in the advertising business. and. You know, women friends who, who, you know, you thought this all ended like 30 years ago and it's still going on. No, no, it did not quite as bad as Mad Men, but but it's still it, it's still there. Mm -hmm. um, wow. So uh, another question I've been wanting to ask you for a long time. Um, where did you get your sense of humor or were you born with it? And did you ever do or consider doing stand-up comedy? Well, I bought my sense of humor in Nordstrom Rack. It was on the sale rack. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I, you know, I, um, 
Nobody ever told me I was funny until I wrote Lift and Separate. <laughs> it's the you're you know, never thought me. about it. Well, you you're know? kidding me. Well, my son brought it up. <laughs> my sons tell me I don't have a sense of humor, and I think you're hysterically funny. And I said no because it's a it's a woman's sense of humor. It's different. So I don't know. So well, I think you're fun. You're very. Everyone thinks you're funny. You're very funny. Thank you. Um, I could not, you know, I always say I can't be a stand-up comedian because I don't like to stand up, oh. which is also true. But I basically, I'm a writer. You know, I love to think about it. I love to write something down. I laugh, and then I try to make it better. And in the privacy of my own home. Okay, so when did you um, first decide that you wanted to write a novel? My whole life. I wanted to, I, I, did, I didn't see myself um, doing anything but writing for, I don't know, for forever, okay? Um, I'm also not qualified to do anything else. I got like a 56 on the geometry regions in New York. So, you know, it became very clear that English and reading was my thing very, very early on. Um, I knew I was going to go to college for English or journalism. And I knew that's what I wanted to do when I got out. But back then, in the Stone Age, one did not have the career advice that exists today. You know, I didn't. Ab oh, absolutely. No, no one told you what you could be or what you could do. And, and there was no internet, Marilyn. I mean, now right. you just go on the internet and you have a world of possibilities. You only knew what what people in your family and people in your neighborhood were doing. You didn't and what did they tell women to be in 1970? A teacher. A teacher. A, teacher. Uh, a nurse. Some, and then right. if you didn't go to college, a secretary, basically. I mean, there were, there, at, at that, there were a few, uh, a few um, women, girls who, um, went to law school who went to medical school but i can count them on one hand so in in my in my group almost well i mean i went to queen's college everybody you know went, was a teacher. teacher from queen's college although i didn't take any education courses there uh -huh. I, I was a political science major but then i got a master's in teaching from columbia and i taught for a few years so yeah that 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 was it that was it Yes, my sister, my middle sister went to Queens College and um, but she really wanted to be a reading teacher. That was her goal. And she became a reading teacher. In fact, she just recently um, retired. But I just I just knew I wanted to write. And like you're saying about the Internet right now, I could sit here and type. I like to write. What can I do for a career? And they'll pop up a thousand articles. Right. And you know, I didn't really have anyone to um, ask about that. I just knew I wanted to go to college. I knew I wanted to write and read. And um, off I went, but right out of school, I, um, I had one job working for a literary agent for about an hour. And then I realized it wasn't for me because it was a one woman office. And you know, I was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's when I started looking for another job, wound up at 17, which was a great start, starting point. And then I started realizing what you could actually do with a career writing that wasn't writing a novel where you would be making no money. But my goal my whole life was to publish a novel. That was, 
that was it. And it took a long time because I did a lot of different things in between. But um, I think if you really set your mind to it and you know, you just get some tunnel vision, it's possible. How long did it does did it take you to write the the your books, your first book, second book, third book? Okay, so the first book I took from the time I started it to the time it was published by Lake Union, 10 years. Mm-hmm. But I want to say, I wasn't exactly strapped into a chair at the time. You know, I mean, I would, I would write here and there. I was not um, like writing every day. Um, the second novel only took 18 months because I had a contract. Okay. You know, my, my father didn't raise a dummy. So <laughs> It's like, we will pay you in 18 months. Here, here's a book. Right. And the third? <laughs> the one is three years. Yeah. I am definitely not a, a, someone who can get a book out in a year. So so what is your, um, I'm curious about your writing process. What, what is it like? Where do you write? Um, um, everything in my life is chaos, including my writing process. Really? Yeah, I just, I don't, I... Like I told you, I started with an idea. About halfway into Crazy to Leave You, I started, I put Margot sitting on Lauren's couch after she didn't even show up for the wedding. I mean, that's the kind of thing that is in my book. A sister who would show up the day after the wedding. Yeah, that was really very (laughs) You know, yeah, that's it. Like you couldn't come to the wedding, but you're here the next day because you need a place to stay. so I started writing Margot about halfway through and I just fell in love with her. I was like, I love this woman. She's so much fun. And uh, when I went through my developmental edits, I purposely made her bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until she became the, you know, the protagonist's best friend, even though she's her sister. She's like the second banana. Right. Yeah. And um, so do you do you write at a at a desk on your bed in a coffee shop (laughs) i write in the air no i write my favorite place to write is at my kitchen table because of the proximity to the ben and jerry's but um (laughs) (laughs) and um uh, but i also you know i have an office in my house i write there and Sometimes when I feel like I just need to get out of the house, I'll go to Panera or I'll go to Starbucks and just uh, sit there for a while. And you're able to write there? You're able to write there? Yes, I just block everything out. But the other place that I really like to write is in libraries in New York. I like to go to the um, library at Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. I love going there. And in Avon, the library where I just had my launch, the Avon Public Library is just, it's a palace. It's just fab, fantastic. And I love going in there. Wow, wow. So um, you, what, could you tell us a little bit about what your path to publishing was? Um, my path to publishing. Well, I had written, when I was at, uh, Wesley and getting my master's, I wrote a book. And I didn't try hard enough to get it published. I got an agent. Was it a novel? A novel? It was a novel. Yeah, it was a novel about a a young, I tend to write about, you know, from out of my own um, experience, because otherwise I'd have to get off my chair and go research. 
Um, so I wrote this novel about a young family and um, I, got an, I got an agent in five days, which is like unheard of. I sent out five copies and got a call from an agent. Wow. Anyway, I start getting responses from publishing houses telling me you have to fix this and resubmit or fix this and resubmit. They were all positive, but I didn't understand. I just, I didn't know anything. I didn't understand. I put the, I put the book in a drawer. Right. Well, you can't get published with your book in a drawer, I found out. So um, I, when I started Lift and Separate about, it must have been about 10 years later, I made up in my mind that I just didn't want to write it. I was going to do whatever I had to do to get published. And um, so after I wrote it, I, I joined a writer's workshop. I've, I'm a big proponent of um, writing workshops and um, wrote it and then started sending it out. And um, I was just, uh, I didn't know anybody. I mean, it was like most people, I didn't know anybody to, to get it published. Um, so now I'll tell you my, one of my favorite stories. My, um, I decided what I was going to do after a year of sending it out and getting people asking for the whole book, but then rejecting it. Okay. So I knew like I was on the cusp, but I just couldn't get over the, you know, over the rock. Well, they want you to have a platform, right? Did you? Oh, do you don't have a social media platform? I, you know what? I don't, I didn't know FaceTime from Facebook. So I was not having a social media platform. So um, I decided what I was going to do is find the name of five agents that seem to have something in common with me. Okay. They're something about their personality or their lives or whatever, where they would understand my humor and the fact that my uh, character was in her late fifties when most of the gatekeepers at these agencies are like 22 years old. Right. So I made, I did what they say you shouldn't do. I Xeroxed five copies of the manuscript, went to New York and was going to go deliver them. And just, I was just losing my nerve. And my husband was going down to Greenwich village, which is where these agencies all were for some reason except one that was in New Jersey. So four in the village, one in New Jersey. I said, you know what? I just can't do it. Can you deliver these? And I, then I thought, you know, he's a man. He'll walk in, they'll probably talk to him. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, nobody wants to talk to a woman. So, uh, so he says yes. And uh, he goes and I'm like just pacing in the apartment. And he comes back and I say, how to go? And now he's the kind of guy like, his glass is brimming and I have no glass. Okay. Right. I have no glass. And he's looking at me like downtrodden. And mm -hmm. I'm like, what do you mean? I said, how did it go? Why are you looking like that? He goes, didn't go well. And I'm oh. like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, there's one of these guys you're definitely not hearing from. <laughs> one? <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a thing to say, right? And what I look about at the other four? How do you know that? He goes, there's one you're not hearing from because he died last week. Uh. <laughs> well, the other three, one, the office had moved. Uh -huh. The other one, you know, some teenager was sitting at the door and like looked at him like he had arrived from a strange planet. Uh -oh. 
Now, now, you know, so they were all busts. In the meantime, I have one manuscript left. I look down and she's in Montclair, New Jersey. And I'm thinking, I'm not driving to Montclair, New Jersey. She could be dead, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not taking a chance. So I mail it and we leave and we go to Scotland. And in Scotland, I get a call from my agent, my current agent, who is just wonderful, telling me she wants to represent my book. Wow. So. I guess my suggestion to anybody who's trying to find an agent or get published is do not play by the rules. Because the rule was don't don't send a full manuscript, don't walk into an office, don't mail a full manuscript, you know, fill out the form. And here I just mailed it sight unseen and I wind up, you know, lucking out. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, so. Marilyn, our uh, time is coming to a close. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you on online and <laughs> not, not physically? <laughs> um, you can find me on Amazon. I would like to be everyone's friend on the page where you buy Crazy to Leave You on Amazon. Um, that's number one. And um, number two, I'm on Facebook. And that's where I have the most fun. I just really enjoy being on Facebook. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. And if you just put in my name, Marilyn Simon Rothstein, uh, that's your best bet. Because if I had to remember any of these links, you know, it would be, I can remember the name of the guy who owned the bra store, but I can't remember my link. But find me on Amazon. <laughs> is, is, there any, is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, Meryl, I just want to thank you so much. I feel like we're so lucky to have your platform. Um, and I, it's, it's one of my favorites. And I look at it every day. And I think you started something really special. So thank, thank you. Thank and thank you so much. And, and, and thank you for, um, for your wonderful sense of humor, which is needed <laughs> now more than ever. So thank you so much for joining us today, Marilyn Simon Rothstein. Her new book is Crazy to Leave You. I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylain.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and Read a Good Book.